Instead of focusing on winning arguments, we're teaching the basic fundamentals of sales and marketing and how we can use them to win in the world of politics, teaching you how to meet people where they're at on the issues they care about. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show. Well, happy Friday there, folks. Brian Nichols here on The Brian Nichols Show. And thank you for joining us on, of course, another fun-filled episode. I am, as always, your humble host, and today we have a returning guest. He is setting the facts straight when it comes to trusting the experts and following the science. Dr. Patrick Moore returning to the program. Hi, Brian. Good to be back. Great to have you back, Dr. Moore. Thank you for joining us here on the episode of uh, today's episode of The Brian Nichols Show. I am so excited to have you back in the program because a lot has been happening since we last had you on the program where the topic of conversation was trust the experts. We're all in this together. If it saves one life, and of course, follow the science, Dr. Moore. And uh, we've seen, I don't know, uh, it seems a lot of those experts that we were told to blindly trust and uh, blindly follow, the ones that you were pointing out here uh, on the episode you joined us uh, with last time, maybe we shouldn't be blindly following. So number one, let's uh, before we go that route, let's reintroduce yourself to the Brian Nichols Show audience and talk to us. What's been going on in the world of Dr. Patrick Moore? Well, what's been going on is this insanity about stopping the use of fossil fuels, uh, dirty fuels, as they like to call them. And what they're doing is they're calling carbon dioxide dirty. Most of our technology today does a really good job of scrubbing the actual pollutants, uh, like sulfur dioxide and a few other chemicals, out of the exhaust from coal plants and automobiles. I mean, the catalytic converter did that with all of the automobiles a long time ago. But nowadays, even China is putting the best technology on for pollution control on all the fossil fuels they're burning. So when they say dirty, they're talking about carbon dioxide, the most important food for all life on Earth. Carbon dioxide isn't dirty. In fact, it's invisible. If, if, if it was dirty, you could probably see it. But it's invisible, and that's why it's easy to make up a scare story about it, because no one can see for themselves what's really going on. And that is the, the topic of my recent book, Fake Invisible Catastrophes and Threats of Doom. I call it the unified theory of scare stories. And what they are unified by is that they are all about things that are either invisible, like carbon dioxide, like radiation. They make it seem like nuclear plants are going to kill everybody overnight when there's 100 plants operating in North America and not one person's ever been injured by them in 50, 60 years. So that's how dangerous nuclear is and how dangerous radiation is. And then there's the secret ingredient in GMOs, genetically modified foods, that is going to kill everybody, even though people have been eating them for years now and billions of meals have been consumed and there's no evidence of any harm. But the funny thing about that is the bad thing in GMOs is not only invisible, it simply doesn't exist. If it existed, it would have a name and a chemical formula. So they've made a multi-billion dollar industry against genetically modified foods, which is a really important advance in agriculture and science. They have made that into a scare story when there is absolutely nothing there. At least with radiation and CO2, there is something there which is invisible. The other aspect is things which are very remote, so remote that they might as well be invisible to most people. And that's why polar bears and coral reefs are used as the scare stories 
about climate change. That it's gonna, they're going to go extinct. They're all dying in the oceans. And it's all lies. The polar bear population has grown tremendously since the treaty was signed in 1973 to end unrestricted hunting, something you never hear about because they don't want you to know that the treaty was signed and the population has grown. And also, coral reefs are underwater. They said 93% of the coral reef is nearly dead. 93% of the coral reef is bleached and dying. So d nearly dead, bleached and dying do not mean dead. When you're dying, you're not dead. And then the funny thing was Forbes had one that said that the coral reefs were in their final terminal stage, as if there were other terminal stages before the final one. Terminal stage number one, terminal stage number two, terminal stage number three, and then the final terminal stage, which still isn't dead. Because you're, if you're dead, you're dead. You're not in a terminal stage. So they've got away with this kind of thing. And at the bottom line, the invisible part of this whole process politically and socially is that the politicians giving the money to the scientists to provide them with these scare stories is never part of the story. The story is all about how the scientists have done a new study which suggests or perhaps says that it might happen that something horrible is going to come about. And that's what the politicians want. They want a scientist that they can bring as an expert to say, we believe that if we don't stop using fossil fuels, civilization will end and all the animals will die and birds will fall from the sky, etc. It's all lies. But the media and the activists use this to make their money. Advertising for TV and radio and donations to Greenpeace. You know, you're driving down the highway in your SUV and you're afraid you're killing your grandchildren because that's what they've told you. And that makes you feel guilty. The combination of fear and guilt is a very powerful motivator. You open your wallet and send Greenpeace a great big check because that makes you feel better that you're maybe doing something to help for the future. That is the problem we have today. And the scientists, the politicians, the media, and the Greens, as they like to call themselves, which is a rather meaningless marketing term, they have got you by the consciousness of your fear and guilt. And so we've got to get to the bottom of this and get the truth of what's really going on out. And what's really going on is that we are returning the CO2 to the atmosphere that was taken out by life in the first place. All of our fossil fuel emissions of CO2 were once in the atmosphere and were removed by plants making fossil fuels and by marine creatures making shells for themselves out of carbon dioxide and calcium. That's what those shells are made of, CO2 from the oceans. And when CO2 is removed from the oceans by the shells dropping to the ground, the bottom of the ocean and turning into, into to limestone and marble and chalk, that means that there's less atmospheric carbon dioxide too, because the atmosphere and the oceans are in equilibrium. So when the oceans lose CO2, they take more CO2 from the atmosphere. That's been going on for 500 million years since marine creatures learned to make shells to protect their soft bodies. And th th this is not known to the average person, and it needs to be known. And if you, you want to know it, read my book, Fake Invisible Catastrophes and Threats of Doom, which has a whole bunch of chapters on all these subjects, including the nuclear energy subject, 
which is probably the biggest solution to reducing fossil fuels, because I believe we should reduce fossil fuels, not because of climate change, because they are limited and precious. And if we can find something like nuclear energy, which has almost an unlimited amount of potential fuel and is one of the safest technologies and is reliable, unlike wind and solar, which only work about a third of the time. So you have to have gas plants to back them up. And that means you keep using more fossil fuels. The more energy you use, you're going to need more fossil fuels to be there when the wind and solar isn't. You don't have that problem with hydroelectric as well as nuclear energy. Nuclear energy can be built anywhere. Hydroelectric is limited by rainfall and terrain, but nuclear is not limited by anything. You can put nuclear on a barge, as they've done in Russia, and send it down a river to a remote village where you don't have to use diesel generators anymore because now you've got a nuclear reactor that can supply all the energy. So uh, I'll quit there, Brian, and see if you <laughs> have any reaction to Oh, that. I do. Because uh, So a couple things. Number one, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remove Nichols here from my name for a little bit. I'm going to put my Brian Stelter from CNN hat on um, because, you know, he, he's just always so full of, of wisdom with his reliable sources over there. And, and he'll say, but Dr. Moore, you see the 97% of scientists who argue that we're seeing humans causing global warming and it's mainly due to CO2. Or you look at the, the experts that we were supposed to trust over the past two years with regards to COVID-19 and how, yes, we're supposed to trust all of their models that show millions and millions and millions of people dying within months. So trust the experts, Monica. Going back to Brian Nichols here, that hurt being Brian Stelter. Um, but yes, you look at what was being promoted, and it has been promoted. This has been promoted from the climate change conversation. It has been promoted throughout the entire conversation over COVID and the entire pandemic. Is this trust the experts? You don't know what you're talking about because you're not a climate expert. You're not an epidemiologist. You're not name whatever the, uh, the title they're looking to put in in place here so dr mora what would be number one your response to that claim to to the claims that well the majority of scientists agree why are we having these random rogue scientists out there who are not trusting the science you may notice that the rogue scientists aren't being paid by politicians they're not using taxpayers money uh, to produce these stories but, and I am an expert on climate. I've been studying it for 40 years and I'm deeply knowledgeable in science. And the big mistake that people are making when they look to a, a majority of scientists believing in anything, doesn't matter what it is, that is not how science works. First, there isn't a majority of scientists who believe that there is a climate emergency. Those are politicians and activists and media people who say that. If you took a poll of all the good scientists studying the climate in this world, very few of them would say it was an emergency or a crisis or a catastrophe like they, these people are saying. Most importantly, though, science is not about majorities. Science is a process of discovery, which usually involves one person discovering something. That's why they say that Einstein discovered the theory of relativity. It wasn't as if there were 3,000 other scientists discovering it at the same time. He discovered it. Galileo discovered that the Earth was not at the center of the universe and that it went around the sun, and so did all the other planets. 
And for that, he was put in house arrest. Most of these major discoveries that actually are true are rejected by a majority of the public in the beginning. Darwin had to wait a long time before his theory of evolution was finally accepted. And so did Einstein. When Einstein discovered the theory of, 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 of uh, sorry, of uh, E equals MC squared is what I'm saying, relativity. When he discovered that, a hundred scientists signed an article saying he was wrong. And his response to that was, why a hundred? It only takes one to prove that I'm wrong. That's how science works. It has three stages. It starts with observation. It cannot be science if there is not something that has been observed. Nobody can actually observe what CO2 is doing. It's all very theoretical. So that's why there are, it's easy to say that it's doing something when no one can see it and see for themselves. So the, the, the thing is, is it starts with observation. Then you repeat the same process over and over to make sure it wasn't a fluke. And you try to remove any outside variables other than the ones you're trying to understand so that you don't have other things interfering with what you're looking for in a cause-effect relationship. So science is about observing causes and effects. Sometimes they get the cause and effect mixed up. That's what they've done with CO2 during these Pleistocene Ice Age periods, where they're saying that CO2 is causing the temperature to go up and down. It's actually the temperature that's causing CO2 to go up and down. That is a fact, but it's not recognized because it's, it sort of spoils their story. The second thing you do is, is verification, as I said, doing it over and over again, and then comes replication. Replication is when you give it out to the world and say, okay, I've done this a hundred times and it works out the same way every time. Why don't you guys try it and see if it works for you? And if a whole bunch of other people find exactly the same thing with good methodology, methodology is the sort of big part of science where you try to make sure that what you're looking at is pure, that you're not getting interfered with other variables of which there are many in climate, of course. That's why you can't really build a computer model to predict the future of, client, of climate or much of anything for that matter, because any system that is chaotic, which you have to say the climate and weather is a very chaotic phenomenon, you can't predict it because you can't see through chaos. That's one of the main definitions of it is that you can't predict it. And yet they pretend that they're predicting the future of the climate with these computer models. Computer models are not science. They, they are tools that you're trying to use with the best knowledge you have, but they, they love to exaggerate it. They exaggerate the amount of warming CO2 actually causes by like four or five times in many of these models. And, and then it does look like the earth is going to warm rather quickly. But the truth is, since about 1700, the earth has been warming at a very slow rate, little over one degree Celsius or little less than two degrees Fahrenheit in 300 years. And when we started burning fossil fuels 150 years ago, and especially since about 1950, when we put about 90% of what we've emitted into the atmosphere, the rate of the temperature increase has not changed. It just is still going up as 
we would have expected it to, given the cycles from the Roman warm period to the Dark Ages cold period to the medieval warming period to the Little Ice Age cooling period, ending around 1700 and starting to warm again, which we would expect it to do for another 200 years, given the cycles of the last 6,000. So that's my response, is that it has nothing to do with majorities. And one of the reasons there's a majority is because a majority of the climate scientists are being paid with taxpayer money by politicians to give them the answer they want. You took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to say, it sounds like instead of following the science, it's following the dollars, Dr. Moore. Um, And that's unfortunate, right? Because we have been told, especially over the past two years, to trust the science. And now a lot of people, especially because they are seeing the science that they have been told to trust over the past two years, just crumble before their eyes. The experts that were propped up now being quickly pushed to the side. It's the uh, the old cane yanking them off stage. And you're seeing this across the board where people are not just re- rejecting experts in, I would say, public health, but across the board. And I guess when we were on uh, the conversation last time, there was a little bit of a, from my perspective, I was like, well, how do we get people to wake up? You know, my, my position on the show is we do sales and marketing. We talk about building solutions. And I know you, you're talking about nuclear and stuff, but you know, do, how do we get some people who are so stuck on the narratives that they're they're buying hook, line, and sinker to actually wake up and say, well, maybe, maybe I'm not right. Maybe the the solutions that have been presented and the problems that these solutions are supposed to solve aren't really problems at all. And now they're starting to maybe look at different ways of doing things. I think we have an opportunity now for more people who are actually opening their eyes. So let's meet those people, Doctor Moore, where they're at right now and questioning some of this stuff. What would be, I guess, beyond nuclear energy, one of the best ways for us to show not just alternative solutions out there to, and to your point, trying to make a more eco-friendly world, not necessarily one where we're going against some you know, invisible narrative, but what are other things that we can do to actually help build real tangible solutions for people to pay attention to our ideas and our solutions across the board? Well, the truth is we have already changed our way of doing things so much in the last 50 years. Like 50 years ago, most of the cities, you could hardly see your hand in front of your face for the smog. And that has been largely uh, reduced. There are some cities that have inversions occasionally where even the the much lower amount of pollution that is produced creates a a sunlight-produced smog. And that's that's kind of hard to avoid. Uh, It isn't going to kill everybody, though. And the, the, the thing is, people have to understand, the people who are in the city, which is a big majority now, if you're asleep at the th- on the 30th floor of your condominium, the trucks are coming in from the farms with the food to stock the shelves in the center of your city and all around it. Now, if we actually did reduce fossil fuels to such an extent, that the farmers didn't have any fertilizer anymore because that's where that comes from too, comes from fossil fuels. The Haber-Bosch process won two Nobel Prizes in the early 1900s when they learned to make nitrogen fertilizer. And if that stops, and that's in the news already, people are being told about it, Famine would be one of the worst possible results of this situation. And the, the, the the tractors and big machines that are growing the food out in the, in the farmlands, they use fossil fuels. 
and the big trucks bringing it into the cities use fossil fuels. You're not going to run those machines on batteries anytime soon. Just not going to happen. So your shelves are empty. If this kind of scenario occurred, the crisis would begin in the urban centers because the people out in the country would keep the food for themselves if there wasn't enough to feed the people in the city. Then chaos would break out and there'd be civil war and horrible situations. Just look at this, this war in Ukraine. I mean, it's just mm. one little part of the world. Look what it has done to upset the apple cart. Now we've got a situation where we may be into a downward spiral that will end in a real crisis because we were trying to stop a fake crisis, which is this, you know, th that the earth is going to get too hot. The, the, the CO2 that we're releasing is greening the earth because it is the fertilizer for plants. Carbon dioxide, that's what they eat. And if they didn't have it, they would die. And CO2 had been declining in the global atmosphere. All of this is available on the internet. You just have to look for it. CO2 was 5,000 parts per million half a billion years ago. It went down to 180 during the last glaciation and came back up because of the warming causing CO2 to come out of the oceans back into the atmosphere to 280. We've brought it back to 420 now. That is still only a third of what greenhouse growers put in their greenhouses to make plants grow optimally. <laughs> the reason that C4 plants evolved not many millions of years ago was because the C3 plants were starting to starve of CO2 at the levels it had gone then, like even what is even higher than what we have now. This is one of the lowest levels of CO2 in the history of life, and we are in the Pleistocene Ice Age. Even though this is an interglacial period, which has been happening every 100,000 years, the glacier is happening every 100,000 years too, in, in concert with the Milankovitch cycle of Jupiter's gravitation affecting the Earth's orbit and tilt, etc. This is all established. Th these This ice age is still here. We're in the Pleistocene ice age. Look at the record from the Eocene thermal maximum. Look up Eocene thermal maximum, E-O-C-E-N-E, -E -E, thermal maximum. 50 million years ago, we've been in a cooling of the Earth for the last 50 million years. It's all there for your eyes to see. It's a very interesting story. If you want it all in one book, buy my book, Fake Invisible Catastrophes and Threats of Doom. It has nearly 2,000 reviews on Amazon, 95% five and four star reviews. It's, it's made for people who don't know science to read. I don't use big words. Where I do, I explain what they mean, and you will have no trouble understanding the book, and you will have no trouble recognizing how many really good uh, references I give for not just me saying it. I'm telling you, for example, that the coral reefs, the most biodiverse coral reefs are in the hottest oceans in the world, in the coral triangle of Indonesia, in the shallow seas of that archipelago. That's where there's over 600 species of corals. During the last 50 million years, the range of coral reefs has shrunk and the biodiversity of most areas has gone down because the water has cooled. 
The Caribbean is the second warmest ocean in the world, and it has lost 50% of its coral species due to cooling over the last 50 million years. <laughs> the Coral Triangle is therefore a refuge in the warmest oceans in the world. Corals are not dying because of heat. They died because of cold and are now in a much more restricted area in the tropics. There's no coral reefs in England or Canada or Sweden or New Zealand. So study this. And one way to get started, there's, there's nearly 400 peer-reviewed references in my book. And you can go to them. If you read every one of the references in my book, you would be an expert on this subject. Because that's how long it's taken me to become one, is by finding these materials and putting them in my book to show you that the, the scare story you're, you're getting about the earth getting too hot is absolute BS. The, the earth has been warmer than it is now for nearly all of life. There's only been three ice ages in the last half billion years. And none of them have been any, any colder than this, but th this, this one is about the same temperature as they were. Why they happen, they're not in any pattern. It may be because of the movement of the plates of the tectonic plates on the earth, which is a very uh, chaotic situation where it's not just in a cycle of some kind. They're moving all over the place. And uh, the Rocky Mountains were made by them, and so were the Andes, and so were the Himalayas, made by these plates crashing into each other. And it happens you know, a few millimeters a year, but over a million years, that's quite a few millimeters. <laughs> That'll add up, yes. Uh, well, hey, fake invisible catastrophes and threats of doom, uh, Dr. Moore mentioned, is available over on Amazon. We'll make it easy for you. All those links will be included in the show notes, including the entire transcript from, yes, today's episode, as well as the 495-plus episodes that we have here of The Brian Nichols Show. And folks, if you enjoyed today's episode, well, yeah, please do me a favor. When you go ahead and share today's episode, make sure you give yours truly a tag. But please go ahead and give Dr. Moore a tag as well. We'll make sure to include his social media there in the show notes. Again, all you got to do is click that artwork there in your podcast catcher. And it'll bring you right to today's episode over at Brian BrianNicholsShow.com. But with that being said, Dr. Patrick Moore, thank you for joining the program. Any final thoughts for the audience today? My Twitter account, where I have over 107,000 followers, is EcoSense Now. Patrick Moore at EcoSense Now. And uh, it, I, 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 I tweet quite regularly, and I get a lot of feedback. I get a lot of retweets, and I hope to see you there. There you go. All right, folks. Well, hey, there's your call to action. And again, if you enjoyed the episode, please do me a favor. Like I said, when you go ahead and share it, make sure you go ahead and give yours truly a tag as well as Dr. Moore. Yes, we'll include that social media link in the show notes. And oh, by the way, folks, make sure you go ahead to briannicholshow.com forward slash shop. Check out, we have our Don't Nuke Me Bro Joe Biden shirt that'll be leaving the Brian Nichols Show shop here soon into the vault. So make sure you get yours today before it's gone for good. But with that being said, it's Brian Nichols signing off here for a happy Friday for Dr. Patrick Moore. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com. 
Enjoying the audio version of the show? Then you'll love our YouTube channel. Be sure to head over there and subscribe. And if you're new to The Brian Nichols Show, be sure to head to your favorite podcast catcher and click download all unplayed episodes so you don't miss one of our nearly 500 episodes that will be sure to leave you educated, enlightened, and informed. If you got value from today's episode, can you do me a favor and head to briannicholsshow.com forward slash support and leave us a $5 donation? And by the way, have you given the show a five-star review yet? If not, head to Apple Podcasts and tell folks why you listen to the program and don't forget to tell your friends to subscribe too. Follow me on social media at B Nichols Liberty. And again, if you'd be so kind, please consider making a donation to the Brian Nichols Show at BrianNicholsShow.com forward slash support. The Brian Nichols Show is supported by viewers like you. Thank you to our patrons, Daryl Schmitz, Michael Lima, Mitchell Mankiewicz, Cody Johns, Craig DaCosta, and the We Are Libertarians Network. Faced with an uncertain future, many business owners and technology professionals don't have the time needed to invest in their business technology strategies. And as a result, they're afraid of their technology getting outdated and putting their company and customers' information at risk. The digital future is already here, but with all different choices in the marketplace, it's difficult to know which one will be the best fit for you and your strategic vision. Imagine having the peace of mind that your business is backed by the right technology investments that are tailored for your specific need. Hi, I'm Brian Nichols, and I've helped countless business owners and technology professionals just like you, helping you make informed decisions about what technologies are best to invest in for your business. Voice, bandwidth, cybersecurity, business continuity, juggling all the aspects of business technology is messy. Let me help. Head to briannicholsshow.com forward slash help and sign up for a free one-on-one consultation with yours truly to dig deep into where you see your company heading and how we can align your business technology towards those goals. Again, that's briannicholsshow.com forward slash help to get your simplified business technology started today.